Take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. And we finished up our Sunday school lesson last week with verse 25. And verse 25 says, Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. So now we're in verse 26. So they have released Barabbas, and they're going to crucify Jesus. And they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. You know there's people today trying to figure out what they're going to do with the Lord. And everything we know about God is through Jesus Christ. The one that created the heavens and the earth comes into the world, and look what the creation did to the Creator. Doesn't, uh, doesn't seem right. You know, if I was a creator, I don't know if I'd let my creation do that to me. But he must really, must really love the people. And I'll be speaking on this in the morning service about the gold of everything, you know, for this cause, for this cause, for this cause, that they may know God. Reason everything happens in our lives so that you may know God. You say, I'm having a problem with this, that you may know God. I mean, you, you name it, it's so that you'll know God. Because there's things God wants you to know. And he wants you to learn how to trust him. So he teaches us this. But look what he says in verse 26. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Isn't that something? Here's Jesus creator of heaven and earth in human form, never wronged anybody, lived a perfect life, came because he so loved them, he was willing to die to pay for all their sins, and look how they treated him. And he had done nothing wrong. They found no cause of any error, no cause of death in him, and yet they did it anyway. And it said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. And anyone make this statement here, and they platted a crown of thorn to put it on his head. And verse 30 says, and they spit on him. Spit on the Lord. Now, if you were God and you had all the power in the world, would you want to send them to the moon? To the moon. Remember Ralph Cramner? To the moon, Alice. To the moon. And uh, you think about when somebody says something that we don't like and hurts our feeling, how easy it is for us to want to retaliate. And this is why the Bible says he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And uh, before his shears, as he was dumb. And yet look what they did to him. They spit on him and they let him. Put a crown of thorns on his head. And I've been in Israel and I've seen those thorns. They're big thorns. I mean, terrible. And they put it on his head. And you think that was the end of it. No, that wasn't the end of it. Because you'll notice in the very next thing it says here in verse 30, 
they spit on him and took the reed, smote him on the what? On the head. What was on his head? Crown of thorns. And driving those thorns down into his skin. Don't you know that he must have been bloody? And this is what they did to him. And after they, that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him. Now remember, they'd already scourged him. That means a cat of nine tails. That means it uh, had these leather thongs on it. And it had broken pieces of glass or metal or stone in it. And then they would put it into their back and then rip it across their back and then sink it in and then rip it across. And they did that 39 times to him. And some people literally died from the scourging. So they had already done that. His back is probably like raw beef and bloody. And then they put a, a robe on him and then mocked him. And then that robe and dries with some of that blood. And then they would rip that off of him. Imagine the pain and suffering that he went through. And it says, they took the robe off from him, put on his own raiment, led him away to crucify him. Now, he hadn't been crucified yet. This is just what they were doing in some of these trials. And it says in verse 32, And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come into a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, now, this is where we believe is uh, Gordon's Calvary. Uh, because the Bible says where he was crucified, a garden was nearby. And the Catholics over there, they have another place where they say it will ha- happen. But the um, majority of people who know the Bible and believe the Bible don't believe that the Catholics had the right place. We believe that it was where there is literally, you can look at it, and at the base of it is a a bus station, and right up above it looks just like the face of a skull. And over there one side, there is this beautiful garden, and there was a sepulcher over there. Joseph of Arimathea had a, a stone hewed out with the place for a sepulcher. And uh, that's what the Bible says took place. But I notice what he says here in verse 33 is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink it. In other words, not just vinegar, but bitter herbs in it to make it just really taste terrible. And uh, that's the punishment that he went through. They wouldn't give him water. And yet he was, he offered living water to every individual that came to him. He would give them eternal life. Look what he says in verse 35. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. You see, in Psalms 22, this is recorded 1,000 years in advance. David talked about Christ being on the cross and what he said when he was on the cross. So hold your place right here and just look at this very quickly. Psalms 22, 22nd Psalm. And uh, how you could read the 22nd Psalm and not believe this is talking about Christ is beyond me. Psalms 22. And just look in verse 1 where it makes a statement 
that somebody is going to say, I wonder who this is going to be. See there in verse 1 of chapter 22, Psalms. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You ever heard those words before? Who said that? Jesus Christ did. This was written a thousand years before he ever came. And so he says down there how people are going to treat him. He says in verse 6, But I am a worm, no man, a reproach of men, despised of all the people, despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip and they shake their head. Saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And you'll see that in just a little bit where the high priest and the chief priest came by and they, they cast this in his teeth. They said, if he's who he claimed to be, let him come down and we'll believe him. No, they ought to believe him because he's up there. Because he prophesied this is what he's going to do. And he says down here, and I want you to see this because it's so important. Look in verse 14. This is while he's hanging on the cross. This is in the Old Testament, a thousand years in advance. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. Now, they didn't break his bones, but his bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potter. In other words, wouldn't you have liked to have known how Jesus thought while he was hanging on the cross and what he was going through? He's telling us. This is how he thought, what he's going through, how he felt, all the agony, the pain, and then everybody forsook him. All of his disciples forsook him. And um, he says this in verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help, none to help. And then he says in verse 15, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. Which I believe is a reference to the Gentile, the Roman soldiers, because that's how the Jewish people looked upon them. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Any question about who this might be? They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. They're gambling for his clothes. And uh, the one was the seamless robe that he had. And they were gambling at the foot of the cross. They didn't want to tear it. And so there were four soldiers. And uh, there's, what are they doing while Jesus is on the cross? Playing games. And you think, they're missing the point of who he is and why he came. And yet so much was revealed in advance, and here they are fulfilling the very scriptures that's told in advance. And uh, he makes a statement here. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. And then notice what he says down in verse 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee, and I'll glorify thee. And then he makes a statement here. In verse 26, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. That's eternal security. That's eternal life. The reason he's doing what he's doing is so that people can live forever. Then he also says here in verse 29, All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. 
All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. None can keep alive his own soul. In other words, everybody's going to die. But will you live forever once you die? Do you have eternal life? And then notice what he says in verse 31. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. This is what we're talking about. You know, one thing about being a Christian is we get to celebrate Resurrection Sunday every Sunday. Most people, they celebrate it once a year. We celebrate it every week because we come together on the first day of the week and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he should be precious to each and every one of us. But to declare his righteousness unto a generation of people that shall be born. When Christ died on that cross 2,000 years ago, we weren't even born yet. And yet he died for us. That 2,000 years later, we're still declaring his righteousness unto the people. See, he died and paid for our sins. And if we believe on him, he gives us his righteousness. His righteousness is what makes us good enough to go to heaven. I'm going on his, not mine. So anyway, go back here to the book of Matthew in chapter 27. Matthew in chapter 27. And notice what he says here in verse 36. And sitting down, they watched him there. Sitting down. So they're playing games, sitting down, and just watching him. See what's going to happen. And look in verse 37 now. And set up over his head his accusation written. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, in the other scriptures, they had a problem with that. They had a big problem with it. They said, right up there, he says he is the king of the Jews. And he says, what I've written, I've written. And he wrote it in three languages so that everybody would know that Jesus Christ is the king of kings. In verse 38, then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. So that's why we know that Jesus was in the middle. And there's two thieves, one on each side. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. This is what we just read in Psalms 22. How that they mocked him and how they shook their heads. And Jesus said, everybody that passes by shoots the lip out at me. Some little smart comment they got to make. The ridicule. I've said this before. If that had been me and I was on that cross and they said that, I'd have come down and zapped every one of them and went back up. But then, of course, I'm not the Lord either. I'll teach you that. Or I'd have pulverized them or something, you know. (laughs) And Jesus says he had the power to call all these angels to come and deliver him. There's a good song called, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels. And one of them would have been enough. They could only do to him what he allowed them to do. And he allowed them to do to him whatever they wanted to do. Hold your place and look at this. You ought to see this verse. Look in the book of Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1. Make it chapter 2. That's the first mistake I've made this morning. Acts chapter 2, and look what he says in verse 22. He says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man, 
approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. God permitted it, but you did it. You did the wrong. See, God will permit you to make wrong decisions, but you did it. But God will allow you. But then there's consequences for your decisions. But he says, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. In other words, death could not hold him there. He says, I have power to lay my life down, and I have power to take it up again. And that's what he did. So going back to Matthew chapter 27, you see, these are some of the things that the Bible says, this is what's going to happen to him. So he makes a statement here in verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, shaking their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and build it in three days, save thyself. In other words, they're mocking him because of what he said. Because Jesus had told them in chapter 2 of the Gospel of John, destroy this temple and I'll raise it in three days. Well, they thought he was talking about the temple that took 46 years to build. You know, when they came back from the Babylonian captivity. But what temple do you think he was talking about? He's talking about his body. You destroy this body, my temple, and in three days I'll raise it back from the dead. So he makes a statement in verse 40. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. That's what they said to him. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Well, that was just the problem. Because he was the Son of God, that's why he came, was to die, to pay for the sins of the world. He couldn't come down from the cross. If he had came down from the cross, nobody would have been saved. So in order to save the world, he could not save himself. But you see the wisdom of man, if you're who you claim to be, save yourself. Don't die. Well, he has to die. And so they nailed him to a cross. Look at verse 41. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and the elders, saying, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. You think so? They wouldn't have believed it if he came back. And if he came back from the dead, they wouldn't have believed it. Now, there were some people that did believe. Nicodemus is one of those Pharisees that believed on the Lord. And so he says there in verse 44, The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Both of them said the same thing. Save yourself and save us. Now, somewhere in this little episode, one of those thieves changed his mind. Somewhere, because of something, something changed his mind. Take your Bible and look at this over there in the book of Luke. Hold your place right there. But look in Luke, chapter 23, 
In the book of Luke, it says here, in Luke chapter 23, and look in verse 39, verse 39. Because now the question was, if you're who you claim to be, well, save yourself and save us. And uh, just to look at this, look up in verse 35. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Save thyself. Then look in verse 39. And one of the malefactors, or the criminals, the thieves, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. See that, and us, now is added in there. But the other answering rebuked him. I wonder why one changed their mind. Something must have been said by the Lord that caused him to understand something. So the only thing I can find is up here in verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. There has to be something that he said that caused this guy that was on the cross to change his mind. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. So the thief said, we know what we've done. We know we deserve to die. See down there in verse 40? So the other answering rebuked the other one. Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? In other words, don't you fear God at all? Hey, we're going to die. We're going to die. And so in verse 41, and we indeed justly. In other words, we receive the due reward of our deeds. We deserve to die. We're thieves. This is what we've done. But this man, he's talking to the other thief, hath done nothing amiss. He hasn't done anything wrong. Nobody had proven that Jesus had done anything wrong, said anything wrong. He hadn't lied. He hadn't blasphemed. He was really who he claimed to be. One of them asked him, Pilate, it says, what is truth? Jesus is the truth. He is truth. And so the debate was on. They held mockery of a kangaroo court. And then you have all these things happening while he was up on the cross. Now notice what he says in verse 42. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So here's Jesus dying on the cross. And he's, as this thief on the cross, say something to him. So you have here a very interesting thing. You had one that was dying in sin, one was dying to sin, and one was dying for sin. All three of them. So Jesus Christ was dying for our sins. The one thief who didn't believe, he was dying in his sins. And Christ says, if you die in your sins, you shall perish. So he did. And one was dying to sin. That means that he believed that Jesus was dying to pay for his sins. 
so that he could have as a free gift to go to heaven. You remember what he said? Remember me, Lord, so he knew he was Lord. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He believed that he had a kingdom, so he believed that he must be a king. And he also had to believe in the resurrection because he says, when thou comest into thy kingdom, means we know you're not getting off the cross. You're going to die. But he believed that he would live again. And it says, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. If you want to hear a, a deathbed prayer, you know, this is it. And what did Jesus say to him? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Jesus went to paradise that very day. See, paradise at that time was in the heart of the earth. Jesus didn't go down to hell and suffer and pay for our sins. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. And he went to the place of paradise. And he led captivity captive. So when he came back from the dead, after his resurrection, many people came back from the dead. So Jesus Christ was in paradise that very day. Now think about this thief on the cross. Did he have to promise God that he would go to church from now on? No? I mean, he's, he's nailed to a cross. Did the thief on the cross have to promise to give money? He made no promises. Did he have to say, I promise that I'm going to turn from my sins and not be bad anymore? He didn't have to do that. Did he have to promise how he was going to live? He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to promise God to be the Lord and the master of his life. He didn't have to promise anything. He couldn't promise to do anything, stop anything, join anything. He's nailed to a cross. Did you know that every person in the world that's ever saved are all saved the same way? By putting your faith in Christ. That's all he did. He believed Jesus was who he claimed to be and would do what he promised to do. Did Jesus promise that that man would be with him in paradise? And yet he did not do anything. One man goes to heaven, one man goes to hell. And what did the one thief do that gets to go to paradise? He believed. He believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be and that he would do what he promised he would do. That's the same thing we teach today. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that he died on the cross, paid for your sins, and will give you as a free gift everlasting life? And if you'll believe that, God said he would save you and you get to go to heaven when you die. It's no different from that man on the cross. That's why I do not and nobody should try to get people to promise I'm not going to be bad anymore. I turn from all of my sins. You don't have to do that. Why? You're a hypocrite. You'll do it anyway. You don't have to promise how you're going to live because that means that God can't save you unless you live right. So who's Savior? You or God? You can't even help save yourself. God doesn't want your help. God cannot save anybody who's trying to save themselves. He can only save those who stop trying to work their way to heaven and trust him as their savior. That is so simple and so easy to understand. So anyway, go back there to Matthew. Back to Matthew. And you'll notice in Matthew, and it says this in verse 43, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. See, they knew what he claimed to be. 
They just didn't believe he was really who he claimed to be. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his table. Now in verse 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land. See, their day started, say, at 6 o'clock in the morning. So from 6 o'clock in the morning, 6 hours would have put it at noon. And so from noon, 6th hour, until 9 would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So from 12 to 3 o'clock, it was dark upon the earth. Remember, Jesus told him, says, Now when you put me on the cross, my Father will tell you who I am. He says, I am the light of the world. They said, you're not the light of the world. He says, when you put me on the cross, my father will tell you who I am. So while he was on that cross, those three hours, the earth went dark. God says, that's my son. That's my son. But it was dark for those three hours. And they said, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabastana, which means to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So when all the sins of all the world were placed upon Christ, God smit his own son. Now, hold your place right here and turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah, and chapter 53. When you go back to the Old Testament and you see something that was written so many years in advance, it amazes you how accurate it is. Man could not have wrote this. So you have here in Isaiah 53 and verse 1, it's like reading the newspaper before the events take place. You see, when we get the newspaper, it's always about what has already happened, right? Well, the Bible tells you what's going to take place and writes it in advance. So he starts off in verse 1. He said, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is Christ. See, in the previous chapter, you'll see there in verse 10 of chapter 52, the Lord hath made bare his holy arm, and the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The arm of the Lord, see, it says it in such a way, the arm of the Lord is going to be revealed. Well, the arm of the Lord is Christ. He's come into the world. And Lord, who shall believe this report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And then look what he, else he says. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. This one that God's going to send into the world. Not coming like an oak tree. He's coming like an acorn. He's coming as a tender plant. And he's going to be born into this world, and he's going to grow up, and he's going to be the man. That's why the Bible refers to him over and over again as the branch of the Lord. He's the branch of the Lord. So he says in verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Now look at the description. He is despised and rejected of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Here was a perfect individual, wrong nobody, comes, and comes into the world and he just happened to be somebody that could walk on water and forgive sins and heal the deaf, the blind, and the dumb and raise people even from the dead and make the lame to walk. 
provide fish sandwiches for everybody. He could do all of those things. And it says, and we hid as it were our faces from, like, we don't want nothing to do with this man. We don't want nothing to do with him. How would you like, you ever have the feeling of rejection? Have you ever had people reject you? And you didn't want it to happen. You, you love them, but they, they reject you. I remember whenever I was a little kid, I, I had a girlfriend. I liked her, but she didn't know I was alive. I just thought, you know, if I like her, she's supposed to like me back, you know. It didn't work that way. Years later, years later, my wife and I, we moved to Georgia, and I said, honey, I want to go by and see this girlfriend that I used to have when I was in the second grade. Still remembered her name. So Betty went with me. And we went to this house, and somebody told me this is where she lived. Back in those days, she was a little rich kid. I was a little poor kid. So I, I just wanted to see her. So we walked up to the door and knocked the door, and this lady comes to the door. And she still looked a little bit like she did when she was a little kid. But now she's married and got kids and so forth. And I introduced her to my wife, and I said, do you remember I was in your second grade with you? She says, no, I don't remember you. I said, no, Yankee, Yankee? No. I said, we were king and queen in the classroom, and we went to the, the thing. Huh? Okay. I wanted to slap her jaws. I mean, probably for 10 years, I carried a torch for the girl and haven't seen her in all those years. And, uh, but, you know, time goes on, and, yeah, she didn't know who I was. She said, do you know who I am? <laughs> she gave me an impression. She don't really care who I am. So anyway, we enjoyed talking to each other, and we left. And so I guess you could say the flame had gone out, or the flame that never was. <laughs> I think some things are funny. But he says that uh, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. Look what he says there in that verse 3. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. We thought he deserves to die when he came. You deserve to die. And yet he hadn't done anything. We did not esteem him as, look, do you know who he is? This is the Lord. This is the Lord. Go back to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 47, when they heard him say, Eli, Eli, they thought, well, hey, he's calling Elijah. Let's see, let's see if Elijah shows up. And so, verse 48, and straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elijah is going to come and save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and Jesus died. Jesus died and paid for the sins of the whole world. And many people don't really understand what Resurrection Sunday is all about. And yet we get to celebrate it every week because we know he came back from the dead on the first day of the week and we celebrate that. And that's why we come together on the first day of the week. And the Bible says in Corinthians in chapter 16, let every man lay by him in store as God has prospered him on the first day of the week. And the disciples, after the resurrection, they had the Lord meet with them on the first day of the week. And then a week later, he met with them again on the first day of the week. 
So the first day of the week, we believe, is the Lord's Day. And so we're thankful for that. Now, in verse 51, I want to show you this. Verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. Now get this. They say that this veil was about this thick. Made out of kind of a camel's hair and so forth like that. It was really tough and strong. They said they could put, you know, horses in there. They could, you could not tear this thing apart. And the Bible says that here's this veil that separates from the holy place and the holy of holies. And the holy of holies is where you had the, the Ark of the Covenant. And then you had in the holy place, you had the table of showbread and the candlestick and so on. And so there's this veil that the high priest would go in once a year and offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But you couldn't go into the presence of God. They said that they would tie a rope around the, the high priest when he goes in. In case God didn't accept it, you may have to drag him out because he didn't want to go in there. And you couldn't touch that Ark of the Covenant because it would shoot you through. In other words, it's like radioactive. It would, you'd die. And so at times in the Bible, it talks about people who touched it, they died automatically. So it was a, a closed thing. And, but that's where the Shekinah glory would come and rest over the mercy seat. And it would be, this is the presence of God. This is where God would meet with his people. But not everybody had access to God. So when Christ died on the cross, it was like he took the sins of the world upon himself and his body was torn for us. In other words, his body was like the veil in the temple. And that veil was rent from top to the bottom. In other words, the way into the presence of God is not been made open. And you read that in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, how that this wall of separation has been opened up. So he makes a statement here in verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom, knowing that man didn't do it. The earth did quake, the rocks rent, the graves were opened. And this is a part of Scripture that most people never see. The graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, wouldn't that knock your socks off? Here's people that have been dead, and there's an earthquake. Graves are open, and people coming up out of the graves and walking in the streets of Jerusalem. Mom, you died 30 years ago. I would love to have recorded some of those. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have been there and saw something like that? But very seldom do you hear somebody talk about these two verses. But this is, is, is that in your Bible? Or did I make that up? That people came out of the graves after Jesus' resurrection and walked and appeared unto many went into the holy city. You know, I would think, you know, maybe there's more to this than meets the eye. And verse 54, now when the centurion, the Roman, and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things which were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God. I remember years ago they had this one movie made and 
I remember at the end of it, there's John Wayne standing there and it says, truly this was the Son of God. Anybody remember seeing that? John Wayne. So you know it had to be true. He's the all-American man. And I saw it was in a movie. John Wayne was standing there. He was a Roman soldier. And, and he looks up and he says, truly this was the Son of God. I think it was the highlight of the whole movie. I forgot the name of the movie. I don't remember that. Anybody remember? Yeah, I think it was the greatest, story ever told. greatest story ever told? All right, it was, um, that was a long time ago. But anyway, it says here, this was the Son of God. And many women were there beholding afar off. There's a song that my son sings sometimes called, Behold the Lamb. So these people that are standing around beholding the Lamb. This is the Lamb that came into the world. Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This was the Lamb that John the Baptist was talking about, and the Lamb was crucified. And so, there you have it. We'll talk more next Sunday morning. All right?